This is Nobody Likes Casey McLean, with your host, the one and only person who thinks this podcast should exist, Casey McLean. Welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. I'm Casey McLean. Uh, support this podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. If they have a rating system or a review system, give us a positive review, positive rating. Uh, if you would like to support this podcast financially, we're on Anchor. And on Anchor, you can be, there's like a... Um, it's not like a donation, but you can become like a special listener. And for that, you can get the exact same product you get here, uh, but you can pay for it, which is nice. It's always nice to pay for the same product that everyone else gets for free. Another option is to go to patreon.com slash the Casey McLean. Um, already there are some of the videos of the interviews, full length interviews. I will occasionally uh, edit out some some either inflammatory, by the way, there is some inflammatory up there or some, some like wild off topic stuff. Uh, the episode I did with Brett Ernst, we start, we talked about politics for about 45 minutes and then he asked if we could, uh, start over. (laughs) We compromised on me putting it, it on the Patreon. Uh, I'm going to start doing a Q&A segment. I'd like to start doing a Q&A segment or just a, a, a mailbag segment. So you can, by the way, email nobodylikescaseymcclain at gmail.com. Um, email your questions, your whatever you want me to respond to. Accusations, allegations, uh, any of it. I'm willing to respond. I have low self-esteem. Today, oh, that's like a, a, like a stomach, like a near burp into the microphone. I wonder if you pick that up. I wonder if you guys will hear that or if it's just me being self-conscious about my disgusting body. Today's guest is Josh Hermsmeyer. Josh Hermsmeyer is a writer at 538.com. He's a football writer. Very funny. I think he's he's one of the funniest uh he's one of the funniest football writers, one of the funniest sports writers on Twitter. And I think you should you should follow him at Frisco Josh. We got into it. Uh, Josh also has worked for football teams. He's been a winery owner. He has, uh, he's a programmer. We talked about how we, he and I share an affliction. Josh and I share an affliction. You're going to find this out. It becomes the theme of the podcast, I think. But I can't start a hobby without fully investing myself into the idea that that hobby could become my career. And Josh is like that too, a little bit. We talked about it on there. I, uh, that's how I started writing and trying to pursue writing as a, as a job at one point, sports writing specifically. I wrote, when I was in 2007, I found this website called fantasyfootballjungle.com and they had mock drafts and I joined their forum and I started uh, interacting in their forum. Didn't really read their website very much. 
and a guy that I'm still friends with today, actually, named Jonathan Hull, uh, who's um, he's since. I think at the time he wrote for a uh, one newspaper in Texas, but now he writes for a. Uh, he's been at like two two additional newspapers since then, um, and I don't know Wichita Falls. I think he writes for the newspaper in Wichita Falls, Texas. He's having a baby soon. Shout out Jonathan Hull, congratulations. I haven't sent him congratulations, by the way. So, uh, not a good friend. I'm not, but maybe I'll do that after this podcast. Jonathan Hull told me that he was writing for the website, and I inquired about writing for the website, and I got paid to write in 2007 about fantasy football. In 2007, 2008, 2009, I was making you know a couple like a grand a year, a little over a grand a year, maybe enough to pay taxes, and. Yeah, I got like a quick an early taste of like if you apply yourself, you can make a little bit of money. And that's I still think that the majority of the money I've made as a writer was at fantasyfootballjungle.com. I started taking journalism classes, broadcasting classes, that's why we're here and I'm doing this podcast and um I enjoy it and I haven't I haven't given up the ghost on that completely. That's why when I started doing stand-up comedy, by the way, I did, I, I wrote a little bit in between because I, if, if you guys are familiar with sports uh, blogs, there's a blog called Walter Football, which feel how you want about Walter Football. I'm not, I don't, I don't hate Walter Football. It's when you go there, it's like very obvious that he's desperately trying to not have to convert to like a modern blogging platform. And he does like a pretty good job, but it's got to be a lot of work. Anyway, he told me the traffic he was getting and the amount of money he was making. And I was like, well, I got to start my own blog. Start from zero, but I got to start my own blog. So in the model of Walter football, I allowed my roommate's dad, who was like a 65-year-old dude and like an early web designer to create this horrible website. By the way, the first time I tried to record this podcast, I, I noticed that the website is still up. I'm not going to say what it is, but I noticed that it's still up with the logo that I created. I haven't talked to this guy in shit, probably 12 years. And this website is still up. And it's still got articles that I wrote on it. Wow. One as recently as 2015, which is just insane. I wonder if he's pulling in a little bit of revenue on this. It looks like he's, I think he's uh, updated this to a new platform. Wow. Wow. So I got fucked over on this website by this guy. He wouldn't, he didn't give me any access. He just uh, was trying to like, we were getting like decent traffic. That's the only thing I could, I could access was the analytics thing. I couldn't even publish myself on my own website. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, and then I had another blog for a while called North and South of Royal Brome that was about Seattle sports. Tried to start a Seattle beer blog, um, seattlebeer.net. So Josh and I share an affliction. The point is you can't make anything a hobby without trying to make it a career. Comedy, I was like, you know, it'd be fun to be able to like 
several weekends a year at local clubs only. No need to go on the road. Just be like a, you know, kind of local fun comedian. And now it's overtaken all of my interests. Now I'm having anxiety because I did a show in a in a barn on Saturday and I don't have anything on my calendar until December because of this goddamn pandemic. So again, we share an affliction, good or bad, we do share it. And I had a lot of fun talking to him. He's a huge get for this podcast and I really enjoyed it. I think that uh he and I whether whether I record a podcast with him again or not, we will meet again because we share an interest in smoking meat. We talk about that a decent amount. Um all right, follow Josh on Twitter at Frisco Josh. He is a former 49ers fan reformed to I think like an objective journalist and a fan of analytics. Which, by the way, is I wrote about sports and analytical terms for a while, and I will say it does really ruin parts of the game, in my opinion, your enjoyment of certain parts of the game. I think it gives you, it makes, for me, it gave, it made it better. I was able to consume more baseball in a different medium when I started caring about sports uh, analytics. I'm a money ball guy. If you, uh, there's like eras of entry into sports analytics, and I was a Moneyball guy, which is a book about, I think, the 2003 Oakland A's and probably came out in 2005 or something like that. So uh, enjoy Josh Hermsmeyer, and I will talk to you more about things you care about less uh, after the conversation. Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at the Casey McLean. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash Casey McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I was doing some research on you today, and oh, there no. is a podcast interview of you uh, from 2007. Maybe the first ever podcast that ever was released. What was I talking about? Wine? Yeah, wine. Oh, man. Who was it with? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was it called Unfiltered? Podcast. Oh, wait. Hold on. Here it is. Here, I think I still have it up. Uh, what is this? wine cast by tim elliott wow that is a long time ago this is tim elliott embroiled in a, a scandal now i don't i don't even know who this fella is no not not that i'm aware um you know he's just a, a wine guy i guess at the time he was doing a podcast what do awesome. you know 
Are you still a wine guy? I mean, um, I love wine and I'm involved in a business that is tangential to wine. It's like wine adjacent, but I don't make it anymore because I live up here, uh, like near Eastern Washington and, you know, Coeur d'Alene area. And then, you know, it's really hard to get grapes and all that stuff. So just make beer now. I see. That's, uh, and by the way, this is it. This is the podcast. We're doing it. Oh, so, right. I don't so, hear <laughs> so, uh, I hate like a, a stilted intro. So, uh, we'll figure out where it starts. Um, when I'm editing, but, uh, thank you for doing it by the way. Um, if I don't have it on the, on the, uh, recorded part or the video part that's recorded, great air yard shirt. Once again, I will be, uh, purchasing one very shortly. Uh, you are, and you say Hermsmeyer? Hermsmeyer. Yeah. Damn. I'm really, uh, got an old podcast and a correct pronunciation of the name. You're killing it. I so another bit of research I did. I was uh, I hope that the winery that you used to own is not a sore subject. Is it a sore subject? No. Okay. Because uh, you you wrote like a blog. I couldn't find the blog. I think the URL is expired. But you wrote a blog about opening a winery. Yeah, Pinot Blogger. I was it blogs had just started mm-hmm. and. Uh, we had a, a the vineyard all set up and, you know, I was starting to make wine. I was done at Davis and, and the, the hardest part of the wine business and look, you know, you do, you do stand up and, and, you know, understand marketing is key, getting butts in seats. And mm-hmm. for me, getting people to even think about another wine brand, um, at a time when there was just this massive explosion of wine brands, kind of like what we've seen with craft beer. Um, it was, it's just really hard to get any attention. And one thing no one had done was kind of blog the birth of a winery. And so that's mm-hmm. what I did. And that's what Pinot Blogger was all about. This Pinot Noir focused winery I was creating and all the ups and downs and, and, uh, and just the, you know, the headaches, but also the fun of, of starting a, a winery in Russian River Valley. So that was, that was that. I mean, we had sold out our first vintage before I had even, uh, any wine really. Um, and, you know, built a mailing list, Th- those things that usually take time after you have the product. Um, I was trying to get them done early because yeah. I need to make money right now. You know, I need, yeah, <laughs> have some to- inertia going in. <laughs> yeah. This had to work. It had to work. So, uh, that was, that was my push was trying to bring a little business savvy to, uh, an industry that was very, um, it was built by people with passion, mm-hmm. um, built by people with technique, skill, all those great things. But they, their focus was always on wine, wine, wine first. And I, I loved the wine too, but I knew if I was going to be able to follow this, this thing to the end and, and actually, uh, continue to do it, which ended up not happening after about 10 years, but, mm-hmm. uh, um, it, you know, uh, that I needed to, I need to get the business part right. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm, f- so I'm a big craft beer guy. In fact, I wrote for, uh, beer graphs for a while and also Washington beer blog, which is maybe less, uh, specifically geared towards, um, this conversation, but I'm, uh, I have noticed that there, you know, like those dudes are artisans. Those men and women are artisans and not, uh, accountants and they're not, um, so I, in my day job, which I don't uh, reveal what it is, specifically but i have uh i write sequel and i do a lot of like um logistics stuff and i've done like production scheduling and all that and i've always felt like that would be beneficial for breweries um 
I know breweries better than wineries, obviously, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And so it, it, it worked for 10 years and then did you sell, did you, uh, close? Yeah. The, the stock market and bubble and everything, there was a huge crash and, uh, we, yeah, we needed to sell. And I was also, I'd also had an opportunity with, uh, uh, a guy, um, that's actually in a pretty big brand, Jordan Winery. They, uh, we got together and we started talking about iPad wine lists and just kind of a software solution to meet a whole bunch of needs, basically understand what was happening in the market from a supplier's perspective. Uh, and then also to kind of help restaurants do their jobs a little bit better and present our products a little bit better. And one of the things we'd been talking about was this, now that we have these digital tablets, that would be a great way to kind of present our brands on premise. And, and so, uh, those conversations turned into a company and, and that company's still going and, uh, and we're doing, actually we survived the, the pandemic, which is pretty incredible and, mm-hmm. uh, we're growing again. So that's great. But, uh, yeah, so like it wasn't, it was, it was sad for me that I, I was no longer actually making wine, but on the one hand, like I've had like, I've had like three passions in my life. One of them is wine and fermenting things. Whether it's sourdough, kimchi, beer, whatever, I just like fermenting things for some reason, and then uh, software coding and football, and like, and I've made a job out of each of them, and I think that, um, that's that's wonderful. Like, I mean, I I have no complaints. My life has gone in incredible directions, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things I told myself when I started brewing beer again was that I was not going to turn this into a business. <laughs> this is going to be just fun. Yeah, just be a hobby, man. Because yeah, that's that's so funny you say that because I have that same like toxic part of my brain that goes like, "Well, you like this? Why not?" I so I uh, smoked my first brisket. You, I think you saw the pictures on Twitter. Uh, I smoked my first brisket two weekends ago, I believe it was, and I'm literally like, "How much would a commercial smoker cost?" and uh, <laughs> And especially because, like, what I think I have realized is that shitty barbecue, the difference, because you can find a lot of these, like, this is just a dude. It's not Dickies or something or whatever, like, name a, name a, I'm, uh, I'm worried that Dickies maybe has a sponsorship on 538 and I'm going to ruin your life. But, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we're good. But, we're like, good. like the, like, what you would think of when you think of, like, bad barbecue uh, it's not that it's like some dude that's, this is his, his 40 year recipe of brisket and it sucks yep. and he has a business and his brisket sucks. And what I think I've realized is, uh, it was just time. That's the only thing I did differently than I think that dude does. Cause I could devote 30 hours to this brisket and not have to worry about it. 30 hours. That is, well, you, amazing. you know, I learned it from your posts about the brisket you made on, I think Mother's Day, right? Yeah. So you you took it to the oven and yeah, you let it, carry. it was about okay. seventeen hours in the smoker, and then I did a, a couple tests on my oven to see if it would uh, create a problem for the brisket if it got too hot on the lowest setting, and it it stayed at like one hundred seventy degrees, so it just held nice. there. Because um, that's the problem with brisket for me at home is I have a I have a smoker that's like almost a cheater smoker it's like the middle middle point between like a charcoal stick burner kind of thing and a pellet grill mm-hmm. and uh it's the easiest like set it and forget it thing as smokers go that i've ever seen but 
I still am worried about running it overnight. Like I don't want to burn my entire neighborhood down uh, running yeah. it overnight. No, that's 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 totally fair. And and uh, yeah, mine is similar. Well, it's it, it's similar in that it's not really a stick burner in terms of like what you might think of these pro guys use. But I have to keep throwing stuff in there every fifteen minutes, otherwise it stops. So I have to be present. I have to be awake, and um, that kind of limits my smoke to. Gosh, I don't. I don't think I want to go over fourteen hours. Like that's up early and and then smoking late, and then at that yeah. point I'm just kind of like I'll just throw it in the oven. Well, that's the other thing too. Is like I I did um I did a pork butt that took about four hours longer than I wanted it to, and then by the time it rolls around that you're eating, like I'm tired and I'm not in a good mood, and like I'm, I'm giving people this food and I'm just like bitchy you know what i mean <laughs> and your and your sinuses are all blown out with smoke so it's really hard to taste the smoke now yeah that's exactly exactly the experience is just substantially worse for me and so i've actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out which uh long smokes can stand up i think pork butt can stand up to the oven pretty well at that temperature um but yeah i just I, my point is that i've like the i literally was like researching beer brewing business plans the first time i brewed beer uh and i by the way i made like 25 batches of beer when i brewed beer and it was I, there was like three that were even drinkable <laughs> like i i would have gone out of business as a brewery so quickly and i also by the way i have many friends in the beer industry i've had resources that i was i was using like i wasn't ignoring these resources and right. still just making horrifically bad beer and I'm still like unfazed, just like okay, so that place the rent is this much, and then the you know the zoning is this. I think we could get you know what a stupid mind I have to be like this thing that I'm not even close to like mediocre at. Yeah. Uh, I I think is going to be my new career. I think I think it. I don't know. There's something about me. Like I feel like. Am, am I really doing it if I'm not getting paid or something? I don't know. Or, or is am I actually any good? You know, and and like the only way to really know is to like actually have people, you know, I don't know, give you money like, for it. Like, yeah, give you money for it. I guess. I guess is kind of how I thought about it. But um, I, I don't think about that for beer. At least I've told myself right now that's it. <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm just like I want. I, I enjoy beer. I enjoy it when I'm smoking, and I love smoking. And I don't want to do that for a living. That's that's hard stuff. And. uh like for the hardest thing, like for me, like right now, I I love smoking, but sourcing wood up here um, mm -hmm. is kind of difficult. Like uh, getting some really good apple wood and having it be seasoned, or whatever wood really, and uh, it's just uh, that is a big pain. Some people enjoy that chase, but whew. so anyway, th those those little things that come with my hobbies. Uh, uh, if I had to turn them into a business, I don't know. Like those would be things that would just stress me out. You're. Uh... I have a maybe after the podcast I'll tell you about a wood source that uh they have a high minimum order. Okay. Um but I think with enough people in it. I've got you're like the fourth person on the list that I like this 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 place that I'm thinking of there's a very small segment of people in my life that would even be interested in this at all. So uh but this is a common problem, yeah. Like well, getting 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 reasonable wood. I think so. I mean I I think also like when you buy the wood at like Home Depot, one, you have very little quality control, right? It's like whatever's in this bag. And then it's it's like the equivalent of a Keurig cup where yeah. 
You're their, you know, you get the the packaged price, which is insanely high compared to I'm sure what Kingsford or whoever is paying for it, or uh, what's the other one, Western something. Um, but yeah, also like you, you can't find oak really easily for me, and so yeah. I used with the brisket, I used uh, Fogo charcoal and post oak chips in the. There's like a smoking chamber that you can use so you can use block you can use um i was I, i'm revealing that i'm a slight fraud with the smoker by saying chips but <laughs> uh you can use also chunks and uh i bought okay. listen listen josh i have a miter saw prepared for when i get these logs from this other place i'm not a fraud i'm ready to do it for real josh don't judge me on these chips but I did use chips on the last smoke because it has this like smoke on demand feature where it drops the charcoal embers into this uh like an ash box and That's you can awesome. you can run uh smoke up into the cooking chamber through that. So I was like dumping them in constantly. I I I like filled my uh the ash chamber completely up with No, I mean I I I smoked with uh with chips and uh and chunks for for years is and there's no nothing really wrong with it. I, the only thing I like about mine is the way it gives you a different kind of smoke because it sucks the sucks the smoke through the hot embers and it burns off some of the impurities like the creosote and stuff. And so you get this clean, thin blue smoke and and that gives a, a really nice flavor on meat. But that's the only reason why that would be the only reason why I would be like put my nose up to anything at this point. Um, just because now I know now I know what that tastes like. And uh, and the other thing is I get I get the shits, man. When I have like an over <laughs> over smoked piece of meat, oh, it's bad. Yeah, so yeah, uh, so I try to avoid that too. Well, the other thing about this that I've realized is uh, I've always had that experience, and then I discovered another thing about brisket that is the reason why the old dude with a barbecue pit on the sidewalk can't uh, is I dry aged or not? Sorry, I wet aged it for thirty days, which made it more tender, and I guess, and that's maybe a little more difficult logistically for a guy that's just you know, running a one-man shop uh, in mm -hmm. Tacoma, Washington, and has to make brisket every single day. But that probably contributes to the shits, having 30-day-old meat uh, that's just been hanging out in a refrigerator for 30 days. Like, yes, it's more tender. Is it better for your stomach? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, dry and wet age is awesome. I've never, I've actually never done it for a brisket. I just go into Costco, grab whatever they have, and and throw it on the grill and um, well, run the smoker. It's very but, simple. I mean, you just take like it, the Costco one. You just leave it in the same thing it's in and just wait thirty days. That's it. That's it. I was I've and I did so much research to make sure that was true because I was going to give this brisket to a lot of people. And I, the only thing I care about with cooking more than like it tasting good is not being the uh, the epicenter for like a food poisoning outbreak. You know what I mean? Like, to my That's knowledge, true. I've never made several people that I care about sick. Right. To my knowledge, they've never complained, and most of them come back and eat again. But now I need to go down, <laughs> go through a mental checklist of all these people. Um, yeah. I so I you own uh the KBQ. KBQ. Yeah, that's that, it, and it's got some other features that I didn't know about the barbecue or the stall until. That's like a very anxious point of uh smoking where like the temperature stops going up mm. and i think of stuff that i've smoked in the past last thanksgiving i did um well, maybe two thanksgivings ago i had a a much worse smoker and uh i did a 
turkey and I pulled it off because I'm like a, I like a steak too. I'm a big steak guy. Like I had sous vide before anyone had sous vide. I've been reverse here. I mean, I like I've again, like I've, and then I'm like, you know, obviously you, you must, I'm uh, looking up business plans for restaurants. I'm going to open a steakhouse. <laughs> Where am I going to source my meat though, Josh? I'm not sure yet. That's the, right. that kinda, the wholesale meat isn't readily available on the internet. You can't just search, you know, but I'll figure it out. I have some friends that are, you know, restaurant industry adjacent in the beer industry. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll talk to them. We'll see. And, but my my point is is like I've always been like a pull it off pork when you're like pork if you're uh, cooking a pork chop I'm always like pull it off a little early, don't pull it. I'd rather have it be more on the rare side almost with almost all uh, meats save for like chicken. Um and then so I did that with this turkey breast that I tried to smoke and it was just fucking horrible. It was uh it was uh like a football, a dense football of of turkey meat. It reminds me when we tried to deep fry turkey one one uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, we didn't catch everything on, but it overflowed, and, uh, and we got burned. And uh, oh no! And then at the end, it was like I don't know. It tasted like a regular old turkey with like some crispy <laughs> skin. Like I didn't understand. Like at the end, I was like, "This is just so stupid." Like this thing is. We did all this work, and it there's like really no difference in the all that work, and then took all that risk. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, I got all those burns. It was it was nasty. I had a deep fried turkey. Yeah, no, I, well, go ahead. Oh, I, I was saying I had a deep fried turkey like uh, maybe fifteen or twenty years ago, made by somebody else, and I thought it was good. But I also like the next year they had a story about like their neighbor burning down their garage, and I've made a mental note since I was like fifteen of like I'm not doing that one. That's that's yeah. the one uh, culinary risk I'm not going to take. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we didn't we didn't go that far, but uh, I, I've heard those same stories, and uh, we were trying to be careful, but it's still overflow because you you don't get all that moisture out of the thing. Uh, it's just gonna bubble, right? I mean, just like I mean, if you've ever deep fried, you know what it's mm-hmm. like, and it's just look at me. You uh, think I haven't deep fried? <laughs> I've done some deep frying. Okay, <laughs> we deep fried. We uh we got a deep fryer for our my wife and my uh wedding as a gift, and I've had that moisture thing with uh, I have a, a specific method of uh frying chicken wings that mm. is um again i've you, you think i haven't looked up a chicken wing business plan josh it's happened i've spent some time imagining what my i've tried to find cisco's price on chicken wings i've You're done that specifically uh but you you fry at a low temperature take them out put them in like a freezer or refrigerator let them cool down and then like blast whatever fryer you have turn it up as high as you can drop them in the hazard, of course, is that you've taken all the moisture out at the low temperature fry. Uh, so at some point, as the um, as the temperature is rising, it'll kick that whatever that is. It'll it'll uh, like boil the water that's underneath the surface, boil the moisture. And yeah, I've had uh, my. By the way, most of this stuff that I've done, I've, I did in a one bedroom apartment. Uh, now we have a house, and like when I overflow a deep fryer it's onto my garage floor and not my kitchen tile uh so wait you do a double deep fry on your wings oh yeah baby that's every time that's next level it's uh it is worth it it'll also the other thing about it is and this is a theory i've had for quite a while is when you get wings that are crispy from a wing place they are so hot like physically hot not spicy they're so hot that it's like you almost have to let them cool down just and then they're still pretty crispy and all that 
But uh, with this way, um, you know they're already cooked all the way through. It's like the same the same concept as sous vide or uh, reverse searing. You know they're cooked all the way through, so you're just trying to get them as crispy as you can, pull them out, and they're ready to eat at like the temperature. I'm not a big, I don't like a, I'm not a hot food guy. Give me warm food. Yeah, yeah, the right temperature. Yeah, that's what I want exactly. Thank you. My wife, we, I made her the other day. I made her something that was so hot, like it was, it was seconds after it had come out of a hot pan, and she microwaved it anyway. I almost got a divorce that day. It was so, I was so offended. Like I, like even cooking it up to the temperature and I could have been shoveling it into her mouth from the pan and it was not hot enough for her to eat it. <laughs> Very upsetting. Very upsetting. Uh, how do we get to that? We were the businesses. Um, have you, what's your, your biggest smoking failure? So. So it would have to be the first time I tried a brisket. Um, I got the smoke flavor on the outside decent, but I pulled it off too soon and I was left with, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, you know, I guess just like a, a, a really poor kind of, uh, 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 you know, beef soup meat. You know, and like just, it just, it was had that pot roast smell and taste and it was just really bad. And, um, you know, the outside of it looked really nice, but you really do need to, to make sure that that internal gets, you know, nice and gelatinized and all the car collagen, all that stuff gets rendered. And otherwise you just, I don't know, the brisket is, I don't know, a brisket can be really bad or it can be sublime, like it can be really amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and there's really not a lot in between. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah. Are you, yeah. So you I, hate I've, pot roast? I've actually screwed up a couple briskets, and that, and it's really disappointing because of the length of time and the expense. So you know, yeah. you buy a prime brisket, you spend a hundred bucks, and then you spend twelve hours on it, all that time and love, and then it kind of just tastes meh. That's uh, that's dispiriting. But uh, mm -hmm. do uh, do you like pot roast? Do you like like you said pot roast as a pejorative? I mean, it's just flavorless and kind of. I guess that's the way I kind of think of it is like the meat doesn't have any real special appeal. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I mean like a pot pie or something like that with some pot roast and, you know, like that kind of meat in it. That's fine. With me. Yeah, it's it's amazing. What amazes me about pot roast is that you cook it in liquid all day and it's still dry. Yeah, like that's, I don't know how that is. I don't know how they've right. managed to pull that off. It's so bad. I'm, I my wife and this is like a big uh, this is a division in our house because I do most of the cooking and I refuse to cook pot roast. I also, by the way, these are uh, hard and fast rules for anyone out there. Um, crock pots. I don't fuck with crock pots. My wife got a crock pot. Well, what is it called? It's called the it Instapot. Uh, the Instapot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And on that thing, and she started calling it her husband, and like she fell in love with it, and it. <laughs> and now I'm looking at it like sidewise, and I I don't know about that thing, but she makes a really good pulled chicken in okay. that thing. And so when we have taco night, taco Tuesdays, the chicken that comes out of that thing, I don't, I don't, but cause it's, cause it's a pressurized crock pot, right? Well, it's there. I think it has a, it is a pressure cooker and a slow cooker. Yeah. Um, so the pressure cooker cooks quickly and the, and the slow cooker cooks slowly. Yeah. So I, I feel like, I feel like we do the, the pressure cooker part of it or she, that's what she uses it mainly for. Um, because I agree with you, like a crock pot is really, 
I mean, if it's done right, you can make some good stuff in one. There's but... specific dishes work fine in it. Like, yeah. actually, pulled pork, like, whatever the temperature a crock pot is, is acceptable for pulled pork. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the temperature, that, it makes shitty mealy chicken, in my opinion. Uh, pot roast is, it's, I guess, great at. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a, we have a Dutch oven. Like, use that. Control the temperature. You know? Oh, okay. That, I, I, maybe I'm conflating the two. Well, Dutch no, no, no. Oven. A Dutch oven goes in your oven. Yeah. And a crock pot, you like plug in, and there's like two temperature settings or four temperature settings. Okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking, ours isn't I'm even thinking in... of the Dutch oven. I'm oh, Dutch oven's it. good. So you have no crock pot? No, we just have the. Oh, lucky we just man. have the, uh, the the instapot. Lucky man. I've I've started to wonder if because so you're like uh, this this uh, wine baron. Uh, here, uh, you write for 538, um, software programmer. Are you part of the Illuminati? Now that you don't have a crockpot, now that I know you don't have a crockpot, it seems uh, Illuminati-ish. <laughs> no, no, I don't know what, you know, the Illuminati. So it is interesting, though. I was reading, or I just watched a Netflix documentary on the family. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Dude, that's worth your is time. Is it just I mean, called it, The Family? It's called The Family, and it's about the the group of folks who put on the National Prayer Breakfast each each year uh, that mm. the president and both houses of Congress come to, and uh, and how that originated, and the people behind it, and wild, absolutely wild. So definitely, definitely worth checking out if you wanna you wanna like realistic, like it's right at the edge of where I start to just go. All right, we're getting into weird territory, tinfoil hat stuff. Yeah. But, but that these are real people, and they they do it every year, and they're secretive, and it's right there for everyone to look at. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I have to imagine there's like, I, there's this comic that I met like four years ago that I do, I'm certain didn't like me. Uh, named his name is Jack Knight. He's very funny. Um, but he had this premise at the time that I was so jealous of. Uh, it was, he's like, uh, Donald Trump is like, uh, low key, the best civics teacher in this country because we're all learning so much about the government. Uh, that's funny. And I think that's, it's a premise that like, I thought, I mean, I I don't know what he ever did with it. I haven't seen him since then, but, uh, I, it's true. Like, I think we're learning how it's so corrupt and also how boring it is. Like at the same time, (laughs) like the, uh, so much of it is just so boring and that's how they've been able to hide all this corruption is nobody it's so boring that nobody is like like dug in in this way to make a documentary before yeah no like the the investigative reporters at wapo like look at it and go oh it's even too boring for me <laughs> i'm not even gonna dive into these documents hell with this yeah um now let's are you conspiracy minded at all no nah, not really I mean, I, because I'm a Bayesian, so it's like, it, I need a lot of evidence for me to get off my prior that it's probably just stupid people doing stupid things, right? Sure. And, and, and like, it's probably easily explained by these very normal hum, human behavioral things. And like, so when, and the idea that people could keep a secret for a long time is really strange credulity for me. So like conspiracy theories in general, I kind of look sideways on, but but again, like this one from from Netflix, I mean, the, the entire premise of it is, is that is the family that these this Christian sect broke off. Uh, they, they're kind of different. 
um, than than other Christmas texts. They basically it's, it's they, they give each person who comes to this house um, a book, and it just says it's just Jesus, it just says Jesus, and it's just about Jesus. They took the Bible and they cut out all the parts that didn't have Jesus. And it's just Jesus, and and uh, and so these guys live in this house with this this leader and uh they got together and decided actually the the whole thing started in seattle which is wild but they uh they 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 moved their operation to washington dc and then they people they would take young professionals uh young uh, people from uh, harvard and yale and all these different families and have them out to this mansion um out on the east coast and and they would indoctrinate them for you know x number of days you were free to come and go but it was a bunch of powerful people telling each other that we're going to rule the world, basically. Wow. And one of the ways they did it was through the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, when I, when I say rule the world, from their perspective, it was all in 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 um, in service of God, right? So it was all couched in religion. Um, but they made these different uh, kind of they made allowances for the people in the, the, that came from their circle. They said that we will never punish people from our own circle. We'll never hold them accountable in the way that Whoa. we're holding the world accountable. Anyway, it, it's worth watching. It's, uh, it's well documented. The, the, this family, you can look it up on, on, uh, Wikipedia. It's, uh, it's a very secretive organization. And, uh, and yet every year the president trundles down to the national prayer breakfast put on by these people, uh, no matter the party. No matter, you know. Well, that's um, the thing that's the craziest is when you find out how these people were friends. Yeah. Like finding out, we all found out uh, if you're as into politics as I am, which is very little. uh, We all found out that Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were friends. And you're like, oh, then it's all bullshit then. Oh, yeah. They were homies. Like, you know. I mean, it's cute. It's it's adorable. Nixon, Nixon and Hunter S. Thompson, they bonded over football. Like, um, sure. you know, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of the thing about it all, too, is that and even like when you talk about like these reporters at the Washington Post, like what's the what is the pipeline from uh newspaper writer to speech writer? Like, I don't know. Like, what is the there's it's all it's also uh, it's also wild. I'm with you generally where I think like if anything, I think there's maybe a slow guiding um, principle like that like oh maybe there's there's 80 people that work in journalism in political journalism and they all think that one day they could be a speechwriter so they all behave slightly differently right and then uh, you know you you uh, run that simulation across a bunch of people and eventually we end up in a situation where this part of the country or this profession is different in this area because of that or the presidents go into this weird breakfast or um, I mean, it's also like the way we got to systemic racism, right? It's like very big things followed by several years of very small differences that magnify over um, over enough time. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I, I think that's accurate. And I also think, though, like just to kind of tout what we do at 538, which is a little bit different, we're all, we're all kind of outsiders and we're looking at it from a way that doesn't require access. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you have a little bit more freedom and you can talk about the thing you're covering with 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 a little less of that kind of uh nose in the ass kind of stuff and 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 i think um i think that that's good and it's healthy for journalism and i'm glad that you know we're most big most of the big newspapers now have like a data journalism division that 
that can actually say those things without having to answer to their sources or answer to the people who are, may not give them the good quote next time or something like that. I think that's also a part of football. Like, and I can tell you, like, I, I work for a team and I don't, I didn't cover them while I worked for them. And then now that I don't work for them anymore and I could, I'm free to say whatever I want. I still don't. I'm not as hard on them as I am on other teams. You know what I mean? Like oh, I know really? the people in there. They're they're my friends, and so it's like, oh sure, that is is nothing you can do unless you're a psychopath, right? Unless mm-hmm. you're just absolutely have no loyalty to anyone. You don't care what anyone thinks about you, and you don't really care about having friends. Yeah, that that stuff matters. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's kind of my if um, this is a little bit of like uh, not the the direction I thought this would go, but I don't really believe in, uh, evil. Like, or at least I say that this is how I always qualify it as, I think there's probably some evil, uh, people, but I think it's a lot more rare than we think. I think that, uh, truly evil people that just want to see bad are rare. And most people think they're doing good. Uh, even if they're wrong, I think they generally think they're doing good. It's, you know, their environment or whatever is, screwed up their mind to the point that they think that what is actually uh, bad for the world is good. And I kind of think that like, that's kind of what you're describing where like when it's a football team and a, a data analytics website, the consequences are almost nothing. Right. If you're, right. A li- exactly. if you're a little less hard on uh, or do you say the team you worked for? Yeah, it was Baltimore. Oh, okay. But, oh, you were a, you're one of the people that made what? How long was it? Like in the recent, most recent years? Last year. Oh boy! So you're like you are the you're part of the uh, <laughs> part of the revolution. I was uh, I was I was only I was not a full time employee or anything like that. I was a consultant. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I know the folks there, and and they're great. It's pretty and, easy to go easy on Baltimore right now. I think, by the way, like that's I I don't think they're giving you a like a a real tough. Uh, well, I mean, I look, I've I've said some negative things about them, like they drafted a running back with their second round pick. Their yeah. first round pick was an off the ball linebacker who I can only imagine what they were thinking when they selected him was like. Well, now we got this guy. He can cover Kelsey, you know, right over the middle. This is going to be the guy. Well, that didn't work out very well. Yeah. So I, I think, I think, uh, they've made some, made some mistakes in the draft. That was disappointing. And then, um, and then now they're not going for it on fourth down and short as much this year. So they've been a lot more conservative. So those are my negative things, but I mean, like in general, like I'll say things about Adam Gase or the Jets or something <laughs> or, or like, you know, I'll say some off the wall thing about some team and, and I would just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that to to Baltimore. I mean, well, so, um, I mean, I guess theoretically, you, you do you think that's always going to be true, or because probably by the time the people who share a philosophy with you are gone from Baltimore, or by the time they are bad, it will be because the people who share that analytics philosophy are gone. The cool thing about Baltimore, and and, and this is my way of answering that, I don't know that it'll, they'll get bad that way because they've been there forever. Um, the guy I worked with in there almost eight years. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, they were, they had one of the first analytics departments. People talk about the Browns and stuff like that, but Baltimore under, uh, uh, Ozzie Newsome was doing it forever. Ozzie was absolutely brilliant and forward thinking. And I don't know, the last 20 years, probably the best GM, you know, that isn't named Bill Belichick. I mean, Bill Belichick wasn't a great GM though. He's just a great coach. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think Newsome deserves more credit. And, I th- and hopefully at some point 
he'll get it because he really did build something special a long time ago. Um, but, but I think that because of that continuity and because they reward people for loyalty, they've built a culture there that I, you know, I, I scoff at culture a little bit because it's really hard to differentiate with culture. Everyone wants good culture, mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, a culture that truly does reward you for staying, um, that rewards you with upper mobility or more responsibility or decision making, um, um, is, is special in the league because the NFL is, very quick to just dump everyone and, and start over. And, uh, and I think that you lose something really important, uh, when you discard, uh, in that institutional memory, it just kind of goes away. So, yeah. Um, and I, I think people also, I mean, not only, I mean, especially fans, but I, I think probably in organizations across all sports, they think they have a better grasp on what the problem is than they do. So like, uh, I'm a Seahawks fan. I, I presume you knew that, but, uh, um, in Seattle, there's been like, there was like a huge push to fire Daryl Bevel. Yeah. And it was like, well, Daryl Bevel was like, we didn't, it was like a lot of, there was a lot of murkiness over what his role in calling offensive plays even was. And like the best I understood it is he called a pass play and Tom Cable called a run play. And then Pete Carroll decided which of those plays was going to be run. Maybe it's, maybe that's oversimplification or a hallucination I had. But, um, I, I think that like the, he never got an opportunity in my opinion to like unleash whatever Daryl Bevel has to offer. So, and the other part of it was, was Pete Carroll going to hire someone who was better than Daryl Bevel? <laughs> and I think we saw like, there's a lot of frustration around Brian Schottenheimer until, 2020 and again it's like is brian schottenheimer actually good and he was just being suppressed by pete carroll wanting to run the ball i'm not saying i know better than they do what's wrong but i think that that like clearing house isn't always yeah the right option right yeah no i think that there should be much more patience um and and therefore there should be much more due diligence in the hiring process like you're going to get married to this guy. Like people right now down in San Francisco are kind of calling for Shanahan's head already. Right. Um, he's had some of the worst injury luck of any coach this year. Um, I mean, they lost their best edge rusher and they lost the other guy who, uh, Solomon Thomas, um, who is reasonable. He's a first round pick. I mean, top high first round pick hasn't panned out, but he still was rotational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they lost their quarterback for a while. They lost George Kittle for a while. I mean, he, you're leaving I think one name out. Uh, your bias might be leaving one name out. Am I? There was. Uh, I'm. I'm just getting to the running backs don't matter thing because uh, um, Raheem Mostert was out also. Yeah, I didn't even true. mention him. That's that's true. And I also didn't name Bosa for reasons. But but anyway, it's just. Uh, <laughs> I, well, you didn't name him, but you referenced him, right? I referenced him. That's All right. true. So, uh, but yeah, no. I, and the thing about Shanahan is he can take any running back, and 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 his system will probably. Uh, get more yards than someone with a great running back in a bad system. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you, if you had, if you had the ultimate running back in Shanahan's system, I think you would have a guy that matters. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, how much more would he matter than, you know, an- another, another random running back in that system? And, and it's just not very much. So anyway, sorry about my dog. That's all right. They, uh, my, uh, my, my take on Shanahan right now, though, in the whole coaching thing is that, Jed York's done a lot of bad things. He was a, an absolute trash owner. He was a garbage heap. 
And he's the main reason why I stopped being a 49er fan. I lived in Northern California for all my life. Um, I stopped being a 49er fan when he fired Jim Harbaugh for no good reason on eight and eight season and then went with sweaty and confused Jim Tom Sula. And he, I mean, he looked like a dry roll contractor and like, and, and he coached like a dry roll contractor. I don't know what was going on. And, and then, you know, and so sweaty and confused gets fired after a year and, and then he brings in a former Seahawks head coach. Wasn't it Erickson? I, I can't remember. Maybe I'm getting my oh, dates confused. I remember Erickson was a coach. Maybe that was before Jim. But in any event, there was just bad hire after bad hire after bad hire until he finally settled on Shanahan. And then Shanahan basically hired his GM. And now they have it. They're a team and they work well together, thick and thin. And Cece, that's enough. <laughs> well, and, uh, can, I, can I guess the size of your dog based on the bark? Oh my gosh! So that one right there is. Hold a on, let me, let me. Let me. Oh no! no I want to guess weight. Oh wait, okay, I'm go going for it. Like uh, twenty-three pounds. Eight. Oh my god! Eight pounds. Truly, are part of the Illuminati. That's she's nice. she's she is barking at the cat. Cece, shame, shame. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so I think that I think your point is 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 right on. I think teams need to have or owners need to have a little more patience uh, with the people they choose. And then, you know, I mean, look, after six, seven years, if nothing's changed, get rid of him. Or if he's truly incompetent, like Adam Gase, like if he's doing truly stupid things, like let's get rid of him. But like, look, Pete Carroll deserves as much time as he needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, know, a, until- Pete Carroll does some things that are like just like unarguably that is the wrong decision. Like some of the timeout usage and uh kicking versus going for it, going for two and like like almost as though he is looking at the chart upside down. Like uh yeah. and that's but also like you talk about culture or whatever, like I don't necessarily believe in I don't believe that fans can measure culture in a locker room as I mean obviously not as much as they they think they can, but also like at all. I don't think at all. Well, did you see the the Seattle Twitter account put out uh, the, the after their latest win, the come from behind win with uh, with Russ? And then there was Pete, and he was like, "We don't win in the first quarter." Yes. We and like and like, look how pumped up the team is. I'm like looking at their faces. They're like, "Oh, all right, let's fucking go home. <laughs> you know, let the old man get his rah rah in." Yeah. And I'm like, are they really that pumped up? I don't know, man. I know, I know. That's the well, and also, what a stupid thing to say. Like that's that's just like classic old football shit, where it's like, yeah, obviously you like the game doesn't end in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter, but you could you, like stake yourself to a big enough lead that you could be playing backups in the fourth quarter. And and it was also just so like high school rah rah. It was mm. like it was it was just corny and just I I just imagine these guys are like, there he goes, you know, yeah. there goes Pete. Yeah, I would. It's it's weird, like optically, that a bunch. It's like a a bunch of dudes have to listen to a seventy year old white guy scream at him like excitedly. Like I, I just can't imagine another. What's another like industry where that happens like that at all? There's a lot of seventy year old white dudes making uh, statements to companies and whatnot, but not in that way. Like what a weird, what and a weird not- world. And not to a locker room full of millionaires. Like it's a strange dynamic, man. It's uh, they're all young, so there's that part of it. And I, I think that's the only lever these coaches still have left is like 
you're youthful and inexperienced. I have the experience and I have this resume Mm -hmm. and I I can take you where you want to go, which is winning. Like, but the minute you stop winning, (laughs) I mean, people talk about culture. I think culture and winning, that's it. If you, Mm -hmm. if you take, if you're a coach and you can help your team win and they believe in you and they'll do what you say. And because they do, and you all whacked as a team, you guys win. I think there's a lot to be said that, 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 that just, that just describes and defines culture. Um, and, uh, I don't know my perspective, if I was going to be a leader in a locker room full of millionaires of highly talented athletic people that are young, I, I would not be the one who would be doing the raw, raw speeches. I would want my QB like Drew Brees does or someone else, uh, a leader on defense to do all that. And I would be like the calm, you know, Hey, good job, everyone. And you know, that's it. Yeah. Um, I think so you created air yards right and i'm uh, no no uh brian burke oh okay na- named them um oh advanced yeah, football nothing to really create i mean some charter up in the booth like marks it down and then it gets fed into a database and and that's that's what it is so it's like you know it's like any other stat in football some human had to sit down and say hey this this was this this, this is how many yards were on the play or this was uh, this is how far the pass went down the field, and so someone from Elias or whomever uh, charted it. And um, I think the only thing it's fair to say is that I found them when no one else had them publicly, and then I kind of started using them in a way for fantasy that was uh, uh, hadn't really been used yet. Mike Clay created a dot, which was just the average depth of target. Um, I kind of spread it out, so I looked at every depth of target. And uh, and then I found that people were looking at it mostly from the quarterback's perspective. And I looked at it from the wide receiver's perspective. And when you did that, um, it turned out that air yards were really helpful in helping us understand their performance and predict it. Yeah. So that's that's, I think, like the reason why running backs don't matter or matter less than they are maybe valued by the league is because it's really hard to parse their value on a play versus the blocking versus the scheme versus whatever um the game state etc uh i think so air yards is the only thing i am aware of that really attempts to isolate i mean i think we would say that a a quarterback who is consistently completing passes further down the field is a more talented quarterback than -hmm. a quarterback who is not i think it passes the logic test it passes the air yards test but so much of that has been left to like kind of our our imperfect memories of people uh passing and now we have this so i want to i want to say this uh because i've used the that philosophy behind air yards as an analogy at my company for our Hmm. uh, product development team um which is like in theory we would like a 100 percent completion percentage but if those are all passes that are at the line of scrimmage or two yards past the line of scrimmage and gain two or three yards each, it doesn't do you any good. Uh, you'd rather have a 12 yards per attempt average at uh, 40% completion percentage than a 100% completion percentage with a three yards per attempt completion percentage. Yeah. Probably. I don't know where the, the intersection point is between those two things, but uh, I guess I guess like that's interesting that you say the thing about receivers because that you write a 
a piece every week that looks at like receivers that are performing better than their stats indicate, right? Uh, the they're getting, oppor- they're getting opportunity that indicates it, that they should have better performances in the future. Right. Um, basically, it's identifying guys who've had bad luck or just underperformed for reasons that are likely outside their control. Because, like as you pointed out, football is so intertwined, interconnected, and there's so much context to everything. Um, but you know, things like drops in the NFL. Like if you're if you're an NFL starter, if you're a wide receiver, a tight end, a move tight end in the NFL, and, and you're dropping passes, um, it's likely just bad variance because you didn't make it all the way to the NFL and have bad hands. Yeah. Um, you know, and you and, and if and if you made it to the NFL and you suddenly develop bad hands, you won't stay in the NFL long. They'll, the coaches are going to see it in practice. They're not going to trot you out there, mm-hmm. A. And then B, you're not going to keep getting wasted downs wasted on you. Like uh, downs are valuable in the NFL, and and to, to waste a target on a guy who can't catch is is, is wild. Uh, it's wild to think that NFL coaches would be that uh, irrational. And some people make those arguments. They'll say, "Well, that guy's bad," and I'll be like, "Well." I mean, why would the NFL team waste all these downs on this bad player? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Isn't it more likely he just had a bad game Mm -hmm. or that got unlucky or dropped some passes he normally wouldn't or it was great defense that play? And we know defense is really hard to predict and is even more contextualized. And it's like, was he asked to play off? Was he asked to play man? Was it press? You know, all those other things that might – was the pass behind him? And There's just so many things that could go into – um, you know, a, a receiver's performance on a given day or even over a small sample of three games. And so what the model does and what I tried to do with air yards is say that, look, the one thing we know that does tend to, it, it does predict itself is, 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 is volume is opportunity is it's like the targets you get, the air yards behind those targets. And if you keep getting that, uh, eventually you're going to have a game that's better. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so I think, uh, like right now, so there's some good, good examples. So Zach Ertz, a lot of people say he's washed and he is older, right? He's 30 years old mm-hmm. and he is a tight end. So there's a lot of blocking getting banged up. I would not be surprised if we find out after this season that he's started the year dinged up. Um, and that might explain a lot of his poor performance, especially with Goddard out and like no target competition. Um, but a lot of it is like he got tackled at the one last week, like, mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff is just, you know, chalking that up to him being bad, I think is a little crazy. He's getting lots of targets. Wentz has not been great. I think he's going to turn it on and he's going to be better. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have somebody like AJ Green, who I'm a lot less bullish on. He, he, I, I do think he, you can make a probably a pretty good case. He's washed. He's old, like he's 31 or 32, and he's coming off a huge injury. And he's seeing lots of volume and he's just done absolutely nothing with it. Um, that one's a little tougher for me, but in general, um, I'm, I'm really skeptical of people who, who get lots of targets and, and people say they're bad. I, uh, the first, I used a, a similar theory to reach a really bad conclusion several years ago. Um, or at least the concession that like NFL coaches know better than I do. Uh, I wrote, for this now defunct website called fantasy football jungle in 2007 the first paid writing i ever back when back when josh hermsmeyer was appearing on the first ever podcast in the history of the world 
uh, I was writing about fantasy football. And I had, like, I think some, some kind of interesting theories, like Antonio Gates being more valuable than many, many, like, one of the most valuable assets in uh, fantasy football because if you're required to hold the tight end up, it's just replacement level. Uh, it's just replacement level written into 1500 words instead of two. Uh, but I actually made an acronym. It was like a smart ass acronym for the, the stat that was like Antonio Gates is more valuable than almost every quarterback, uh, or running back and, you know, a shitty acronym. Uh, I also, but my, my real crowning turd was, uh, I got into an argument about, um, Rex Grossman being better than Ben Roethlisberger because Ben Roethlisberger, and I do actually think this, there's maybe some, uh, something to this, but early in his career, Roethlisberger was throwing the ball like 20 times a game and, and Grossman was being asked to do a lot more. And I think it was even at a time where the, the bears were like run heavy. Um, and so, I mean, both those teams were run heavy at the time. And mm. I was like, well, they're, they're asking, they're giving Grossman more attempts for a reason. Like I trust their, and obviously like history has been unkind to that opinion, but I feel like, uh, the, when you started talking about how, cause, and this is the argument for why, uh, I keep using running backs don't matter because that's the, the like prevailing hashtag. I don't know that you're actually, if you've, um, put your weight behind that hashtag, but I'm, I'm using... actually writing a running back don't matter article for five thirty eight today. Oh, great. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of people hate that. Um, oh, they hate it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's about Le'Veon Bell and, and, and why a team should probably not sign him unless it's league minimum. So the, the argument is like, people go, Oh, you think that like anybody could play running back. You think that Casey McLean could step behind a line and play running back. And like, obviously not. That's not the argument. The argument is that once you've reached the status of NFL prospect, you are substantially more athletic than I am. And so you have a, like a, your athletic baseline is very, very high. Yes. And you can excel with good blocking and good scheme. And, you know, there's maybe, like, I think the argument, the argument really becomes like, I think you were saying earlier, like, what is the, what is the replace? That's really the argument is what's the replacement level? Because mm-hmm. at running back, it seems like it's really high. Here's another way to frame it. They're all good. Like, it's a solved problem. The NFL scouts know how to find good running backs mm-hmm. and they know how to get them in the first round, the second round, third round and undrafted. They can get them anywhere. Um, they can find athletic instinctual guys who have at least one or two really outstanding traits. And then you could build a running game around that, uh, you know, different schemes, obviously emphasize different talents and different traits. Um, and I think the best scheme builders like Shanahan can do whatever with whomever, um, but he certainly likes guys that are fast, um, that have some vision. They can find cutback lanes in, in his outside zone scheme. So I think I think it's just it really just depends. But I think you can scheme um, if, you, if your scouts find you a guy with one or two really solid traits, whether he can break tackles, got vision, contact balance, all that stuff, or he's really fast. Um, I think that uh, you know at that point you're going to get your four yards a carry uh, in the NFL, and uh, 
you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I also have the defense doesn't matter take. And, uh, you know, that one's a lot more controversial. And it's certainly not true in real football. I think it's very true in fantasy football. But I think the reason why defense is unpredictable, and I think the reason why, like, for instance, last week, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars were missing uh, two of their three starting defensive backs uh, or, or their cornerbacks. I think they were missing their slot and one of their starting cornerbacks. And then they lost their stud safety in the middle of the game, and they still got two picks. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's things like that where you go, well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Houston won, but it was didn't didn't look great. And I think I think what explains it is what happened in San Francisco. There's number 48. He's a practice squad cornerback. And there was Miami playing San Francisco. And he gave up 139 yards and a touchdown midway through the second quarter. Wow. He was roasted. I mean, Harvard boy was killing it. <laughs> Fitzmagic was absolutely throwing his way on almost every play. And he got taken out of the game. Midway through the third, midway through the second quarter, taken out of the. Oh, oh, am I still there? Back. Yep. Okay, it there we it go. Should be good on cast. So. Okay, cool. Well, he got absolutely destroyed, and and I think the reason why we don't see that differential in performance in a way that makes it predictable is because coaches are smart enough to know when they actually have a liability that large, mm-hmm. and they get them the hell out of there, and so. I think, you know, what you end up with is, you know, defenses that mask their deficiencies and offenses that do the best to emphasize their, what they're good at and mask their deficiencies. And because both sides are so good at what they do, they're in the NFL after all, um, you have this kind of mishmash of factors. And what we end up seeing that actually is predictive, that help, helps us make determinations about who's going to win a game, is that the offense, the people who are dictating to the defense are the ones that uh, ultimately hold hold the signal and, and allow us to make better predictions. Well, that um, offensive powerhouse cost me two points. I had I have San Francisco's defense, and the offensive powerhouse that is the Miami Dolphins uh, scored me a negative two last week in our league. Wow. Um, because, because you had the Niner defense? Yeah, and I'm upset that I uh, – I'm also like a draft those like that's part of the Antonio Gates theory is like draft the less sexy positions a round or two earlier than like my suspicion is that every kicker has the same ability pretty much the by the way the the analogy for running backs and actually kickers isn't a bad analogy in the NFL because they've gotten so good also is do you, are you a baseball fan at all I started in baseball actually okay uh-huh. So yeah. you're familiar with all the pitch framing stuff, I assume. I'm that came after. Okay, I left, but yes, I'm familiar with the with the research that suggests that catchers uh, own uh, the strike zone a little bit more than what we thought. Yeah, and so even if like maybe the numbers are inflated, which I think that like they haven't, they don't bear out necessarily in actual team wins. With because with enough enough data, you'd expect it would bear out um, actual team wins, not theoretical wins. But anyways, the the point is is that 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 research became popular in like maybe 2015 or something like that and then within 2 years every catcher in the league could uh frame pretty well and the the space between the best and the worst the worst the gap between the best and the worst shrunk to uh something that wasn't worth a lot of investment and i think that that's kind of the the running back thing is like everyone 
is so good. But when you're playing fantasy football, obviously, like you don't have to ca- running running backs do matter in fantasy football. Yep, it's uh, repetitions or uh, volume of usage usage rate that you care about. Um, I'm telling you, you don't have to, you know. No, I agree. <laughs> I <have> to... <laughs> it's all about touches. Uh, yeah, and, and I think like that's true of kickers also. So I'm always like I drafted, although it hasn't turned out great. The Kansas City kicker, I don't even know his name, Buckter Butker, something yeah, like yeah. that. Butner, Butner, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Harrison, it. is it a? I think it's an H. Uh, yeah, we're cl- we're close here. It yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't put a lot of time into memorizing kicker names. It's, yeah, it's true. I drafted the team he plays on more so than the kicker yeah. himself, obviously. Yeah. Um, but now I'm upset about this defense situation. <laughs> um, well, I got, so I got to in a couple minutes. I got to go eat dinner. Uh, what did you have yeah. for dinner today? I want to know. Uh, we are. I, so I had uh, chicken parm. Uh, but, uh, it was, I you were uh, going to say some, I thought you were going to say like, we are on this special diet. And so yeah, no, I had to are, eat we broccoli. We're on a poor <laughs> portion diet right now. So it's like the chicken parm is like, it's very small. Okay. So it, it took me like, uh, gosh, it took me like 10 seconds to eat. So I'm, I'm, I'm my, my stomach's like, <laughs> I didn't expect when you started to explain your diet that it was going to be fried chicken drenched in in uh, marinara and cheese, but uh, with pasta, with pasta. Oh yeah, that's I'm, I'm having pasta too. Uh, I'm having. Pasta, I'm man. on the big portion diet. Actually, is the one. Do, that I do you make your own sometimes? I have. Yeah, I love that. I love. I'm. Uh, so this is what happened to me, and I think this this happens to. So when I started uh, working, I when I was going to college, I worked in a box factory as like a press operator. And mm-hmm. then I, my first office job was in that box factory's office. Uh, and I stopped ha- like a, when you run a press at the end of the day, you can see just like pallets and pallets of stuff that you made that day. And when you're, you know, working with data or spreadsheets or software, it's uh there's less, there's no physical product at the end of the day that you yeah. go like, I did that. And I became like, that's when I got into brewing beer. That's when I got into cooking. That's I have all of these things, and so yeah, pasta. Make my own pasta. Did I did I try to plan an Italian restaurant as a like not even like I'm not Irish really. I'm like a little bit Irish, but certainly not Italian. Did I do that? Yes, I did. I if I thought about creating my own pasta company because of the, then I don't have to deal with the people and I can work you know more favorable. Of course I did, but uh, here That's we are, and I'm uh, I'm. Uh, hosting an unsuccessful podcast and uh and doing comedy uh which by the way uh i do the the invitation is always there anytime i'm in spokane i was supposed to be there in august and what i didn't want to tell you was that uh sarah colonna was the headliner and her husband is john ryan oh and uh on some of her shows he comes out and does stand-up and I thought I didn't want to tell you that I wanted that just to just happen in front of you, but I don't know when I'll ever work with either of them again. So the surprise is, is ruined. And this, but so this is actually happening in August, though. Are you guys? No, you guys that was we, I was supposed to be at Spokane. Oh, that Comedy was Club supposed to be in August. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that's what you and I we had no, talked about it at some point. Um, via no, you the had internet. mentioned Honey in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, so and, that's uh, we're working on it. It's nothing, okay. nothing's official yet. But I the the woman that books that room used to be the manager at Spokane Comedy Club. So I have a good uh, relationship with her. So I think that sometime in early 2021, as long as uh, we don't all die before then, um, I think that there's a good chance. So my question though is, 
you're a wine, you worked in the wine industry. Um, you have, uh, you're like, I, I read your bio. You have like an economics background. You're right for 538. Uh, you, there's gotta be a lot of jobs available. The only, I'm trying to think of the three reasons I can think of to move to Northern Idaho. And there's uh there's either homes got too expensive where you lived before and the, and homes are cheaper in Northern Idaho. Um, you had a job out there or the other reason historically to move to Northern Idaho is uh, to join a white supremacist compound. <clears throat> this doesn't necessarily look like what I would, the, the room I'm seeing behind you doesn't necessarily look like a white supremacist compound. Uh, I don't leather couches. I don't usually see. That's not what I expect. Can you at least deny that that's the reason so that I'm allowed to publish this podcast? That's tremendous. Yeah, no, that that is uh, that is not the reason we moved out to just Coeur an ancillary benefit. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, the, 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 you know, and 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 I'll talk about that in a second. But the reason why I moved out here I was in Northern California, and the fires came in 2017, I burned see. down everything around us, and uh, and at that point. It looked like uh, the beginning of Terminator 2, you know, where the robot's walking and crushes the skull with his foot. Like, that's what it, everything was gray, burnt. And uh, that wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't what I, you don't live in California for that. Um, and it, yeah. was, it wasn't the first fire, and there hasn't been the last since yeah. we left. So, uh, so, yeah, we very quickly, I think I sold within 48 hours after we made the decision, which was maybe a week after the fire. Um, my parents are up here. My sister's up here. So that made it easy. It was between here and Austin and Colorado. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe somewhere uh, outside of Denver. But, uh, so those are the three places we were looking at. My family's up here. We came up here, fell in love. You've been here. So I describe Coeur d'Alene to people who've never been, um, as like a more beautiful Lake Tahoe. Um, it's, it's just very, very pretty up here. Yeah, and so fell, fell in love with that. I fell in love with uh, Coeur d'Alene town. It reminds me a lot of Healdsburg, a uh, place in Northern California where I'm from. Um, just this kind of boutique little town, and it's really cute, and um, but uh, a lot less pretentious. And 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 as you say, the dollar goes farther. Yeah. Now on to the white supremacy thing. By the, time <laughs> here, by the time I got here, there's a place called the Human Rights Institute, right by the museum here in Coeur d'Alene. And we made actual national headlines because, yes, we were having white supremacist marches on our streets. But the, the Human Rights Institute actually set um, a kind of a, a path forward with how to deal with that kind of behavior in that whenever these people would come march, they would put together fundraisers that would raise money for every minute they were marching down the street. And the, that money would go towards, um, um, you know, counter programming. And oh, and so people could yeah people could vote passive aggressively with their with their money about you know get out of our streets. So every time these guys came out and 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 you know it, you know ostensibly to like further their cause they were completely destroying their cause. Eventually the way it finally came apart a, a black woman was driving her car down uh, in a car uh by their compound and I think her tire went out. And the freaking hot, methed up dudes on in in the compound were like on the wall or something. They thought it was a gunfire, so they riddled her car with bullets. Oh my god! She had two little kids in the back. No one was harmed, but she sued their asses, mm -hmm. and they were completely destroyed financially. And then after they were destroyed, we came in. 
when we, this is before I was here, raised the thing with bulldozers and burned the land. Burned the <laughs> land because it was evil. So I, uh, I th- that is I, true evil, by the way. I said I don't believe in true evil. Yeah. That sounds like true evil. Yeah. So I'm sure there are some people up here. Um, in fact, I know it's true. But uh, but in general, uh, I w- when I when I learned all of this that I just described to you uh, made me feel a lot better about moving up here. I will, I'm going to end you on this story. I went to uh, Grants Pass, Oregon for comedy, and I was walking around. It's like not as nice as Coeur d'Alene, but it's like a small town. And I always like uh, my wife went to school in Ellensburg in uh, in Washington, and I like I really fell in love with that idea we don't live in a small town now we live in tacoma and we live in like the i call it the seattle part of tacoma like a lot of traffic right on like the you can hear the nightlife from our bedroom Mm. uh that was cool when all that stuff was open and we didn't have a kid it's less cool now i gotta say um but grant's pass i'm walking around and like everyone is so nice there too and like washington's not like that washington people aren't friendly especially by the way i mean i guess like tacoma seattle people specifically aren't like friendly and i'm not either by the way like when someone i had a kevin martinez from the mariners the he's their uh marketing um vp he described the seattle freeze to me when i was like 27 i never had heard of it before and uh i was do you know what the seattle freeze is no, no. Oh, okay. The Seattle freeze is when people move to Seattle from another place, everyone that lives in Seattle treats them like shit. They're very oh, wow. cold to them. That's why they call it the Seattle freeze. So he described what the Seattle freeze was. And I was like, oh, that is my demeanor. Like, that <laughs> is me. You have described me and everybody I know. And I really hate when someone comes from the Midwest and they're friendly because it's annoying and the conversations are so long. And uh, But when you go somewhere that you're like a stranger in a foreign land it's that's nicer than i get it now going to grants pass and i was like i think i tweeted something like i'm in grants pass very fun place everyone's very friendly here something hopefully with a joke in it not just those exact things and my friend who's from central oregon goes hey did you know that that's where all of the white supremacists from northern idaho moved after (laughs) I was like, oh, wow, I guess that's why they're so friendly to me. I guess, uh, I oh guess that- <laughs> no, you checked all the boxes. Uh, he got a beard. He's white. This is yeah. one of ours. Yeah, I'm a Confederate flag away from being their leader, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Josh. I really like Josh. Um, I think it's the beginning of a, uh, of a decent friendship we have, Josh and I. We have a good foundation, which is several common interests, a shared affliction, and uh, the fact that I'll probably be going to a city near him multiple times a year uh, to perform stand-up comedy <clears throat> for some time. So, Josh Hermsmeyer, what a guy. What a guy. Can you believe that it's two weeks from the election? I had not put it in those terms for myself, and my friend pointed it out to me today, that it's two weeks, as I record this, it's two weeks from the election. Absolutely insane. It feels a million years away. I'm recording this on Monday, by the way. 
It's I think it's going to come out on Wednesday. So when is the debate? I don't know. Is it going to happen? I don't know. Did we watch any? Did my what? I I actually I thought this was interesting. Uh, the town halls that happen simultaneously, Trump and Biden town halls. Uh, my wife and I are going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm not thrilled to be voting for Joe Biden. I'm also, by the way, not telling anybody to not to, I'm not one of these people that's like, you have to, uh, you have to vote for one of the duopoly party candidates because I don't think that, I mean, I, there's a good chance I'm going to vote for a third party at some point in my life. But this time around, we're going to vote for Joe Biden. And the and it's decided. Like, we're not undecided voters. Um, the idea that anybody is undecided going into the final debate or into the second debate, it seems a little far-fetched to me. But what would have been the second debate that became two, dueling town halls was interesting to me because Joe Biden got better ratings by like a million viewers, which is not that exciting, by the way. And I think the YouTube or whatever was better also. But my wife, we got a call from her parents when it was happening. And they go, are you guys watching the town halls? And she goes, oh, no, we didn't. I didn't realize that we're on. We're eating dinner. And she gets off the phone with her parents and she goes, we should watch the Trump town hall. Not because she's interested in what Trump has to say from a, a uh, voter information perspective, but because it's the train wreck thing. It's the hacky corny thing, the train wreck thing. And I have to wonder how many people who are Biden supporters we're along for the for the uh, for the scene, for the wild shit that was going to go on at Donald Trump's town hall. The lady, by the way, that said he looked handsome when he smiles. I found out she's a Biden voter, which is hilarious. It's hilarious because you could see how much that affected him. I don't think he's been any happier at any point, including dancing. Uh, including dancing in front of an audience. I don't think he's been happier than when that lady said he was handsome when he smiles. But she said she's voting for Biden. Um, so, yeah, I wonder how many people wanted to see the train wreck. And then I saw this video on Twitter that I find funny for a variety of reasons, and it's... Uh, the Biden plan would destroy it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris with watching Donald Trump talk. Heartless. <laughs> God. We don't need to go into this too pandemic. far. But... This is interesting to watch, isn't it? So Joe Biden wants to inflict a painful shutdown on the entire country. His shutdown would inflict unthinkable and lasting harm. <laughs> So this is, uh, we don't need to watch any more of this or you don't need to listen to any more of this, but him and Kamala Harris watching this together, this is like when you're, when you're at like, um, you're getting your oil changed and you're waiting in the waiting room and there's just like, I don't know who I am in this scenario. I don't know if I'm Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, 
but it's like someone I don't even know is talking to me about what's going on on the TV in the waiting room. And I'm not actually paying attention, but they just like keep roping me in. Like they're lonely. They're lonely people usually. And they keep roping you into the thing that's happening on the TV as though you're invested in it also. That's the vibe of this conversation. Uh, here's another one, another video. So I'm going to, I'm going to play two videos. One is not that funny, especially if you can't watch it. Then I'm going to play the, uh, an example of the other side doing the same thing. And it's, I think it's more funny because it's once like edited and a comedian in charge of it and etc. You're going to uh, kind of gives away which side's going second, but here we go. So this is a video of a dude uh, burning a flag, dancing all over it. He's like, he's eating, he's, uh, he's got a, an artificial heart and he's squeezing the blood on his face as though he's drinking the blood of the president. And he catches on fire on this burning flag. So here's the thing, folks of the right. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to this podcast and you're a folk, you're one of these folks on the right, that's fine. I like, I got in a debate even, I like, uh, conservative audiences, politically conservative audiences and at comedy clubs. Um, you deserve entertainment too. Okay. So this isn't all liberals. Okay. This is what you call nut picking. This isn't a, we think this guy's a jackass also. This guy that's like having this moment because there's a camera around at best. He's doing it because there's a camera around. What's probably actually happening is he, he's getting gassed up by all the people around him and he's, it's like a comic. Like you wonder why comedians sometimes say something that's inappropriate. It's because they get caught up in the moment and it's fun. This dude's just having fun. This guy's just having fun. He's getting some reaction. He's killing with this this eating the heart thing and catching himself on fire with a burning flag. He's just a narcissist like the rest of us. He's just self-interested. I have an example. So, by the way, I am excited for the election to be over to stop talking about all this stuff. But there's a great video. Uh, Jordan Klepper went to a, a uh, Trump rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I just want to play just this one interview from it because it's funny because like I could, the guy he's interviewing, they, I'm sure they have hours of footage to, to boil down to like probably a combined four minutes of dumb sounding interviews. But the guy he's playing or he's, he's interviewing here. I feel like I could have a beer with this guy. Like he seems like a nice dude. That's just got. Like some kind of dumb dude logic. The efficacy of Trump's herd mentality theory was on full display. That's America right there. That's freedom. That's freedom? That's freedom. Are you excited about the SCOTUS Of course bit? I am. What are you excited about? Uh, it's going to fill the court with constitutional loving Americans again. So he asked about the Supreme Court pick. Constitutional loving Americans. This is a guy, by the way in a too tight t-shirt. He doesn't look that different from me. Too tight t-shirt. He's got a uh, USA hat on with a 45 logo on the side. He's got the, he's got the, uh, by the way, <laughs> he's got like the alternate, uh, the alternate home uniform 
for the the MAGA, the alternate MAGA home uniform, which is instead of a Make America Great Again hat, it says USA and 45 on the side. He's holding a big Trump flag. Uh, veterans before something is on his shirt. He's probably around, I bet, I bet this dude's in his like early mid thirties, puts him in my age range. I could drink a beer with this guy is what I'm saying. I don't think this guy's hateful. I think he's dumb. That court has been too liberal for too long. Really? Of course it has. You're pro-life. Of course. It's important for Americans to do whatever they can to protect a human life. Yes. Why aren't you wearing a mask? I mean, again, it's a personal choice, I think. If this is a comedy club and this is crowd work, it fucking explodes right here, by the way. If everybody was wearing them and everybody said put a mask on, I would respect everybody's wishes and put it on. Uh-huh. We're not cheap. We're not lines. cheap. We're not cheap. But if everybody here was wearing masks. If everybody was wearing but again, we're not cheaper. You're not cheaper. We're not. So you're going to look at what everybody's doing and you're going to follow That's along. That's it. Yeah. But not cheaper. Not cheaper. Yeah. So... Oh, there's one other part. I should I should fast forward to the other part. But yeah, like I, again, this is like a dummy. I think this is a dummy. Oh, here, there's a, man. There's so many funny parts. Uh, this is. I want to make sure that I don't. Okay. I think mail in ballots is not going to be fair because it leads to fraud and stuff. You don't you don't trust mail in ballots? Not at all. The president uses mail in ballots. Yeah, for, they're going to use mail-in ballots for this upcoming election, right? Right, but the president himself uses mail-in ballots. Oh, he does? Where? He, that's how he votes. By the way, that is a great Pennsylvania accent on that fellow. Let's hear that again. You trust the results? No. no. Oh, we went too far. Hold on. You don't You don't trust mail-in ballots? Not at all. The president uses mail-in ballots. Yeah, for, they're going to use mail-in ballots for this upcoming election, right? Right, but the president himself uses mail-in ballots. Oh, he does? Where? If you ever wanted to know what a Pennsylvania accent upcoming is, election, right? That's what but it the is. The president Ready? himself uses mail-in ballots. Oh, he does. Where? Oh, he does. Where? Is that good? Is that a good impression? Upcoming election, right? Right. But the president himself uses mail-in ballots. Oh, he does. Where? Oh, he does. Where? The uh, Bam Margera. I don't know if that's actually Pens. I think it is Pennsylvania, but if not, that's like the remember that show uh, Viva La Bam. That, those those folks all have uh, Pennsylvania accents. I want to get to this other guy. He interviews this old guy. Jean jacket, uh, white, Trump hat. He's got the, the road uniform I, on. I wanted to self-quarantine and chill, but I still had one burning question. Are you in a better place than you were four years ago? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Is America in a better place than they were four years I ago? I believe absolutely. We have higher unemployment. We have 200,000 people dead due to COVID, and we have riots in the streets. Yes, let me just tell you this much. Yes, I'm doing much better. I'm literally making four times as much as I was making when Obama was president. What do you do? I work for a debt relief company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now as a debt relief employee, you make more money under Donald Trump. Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's good to be a white debt relief collector. Okay, so uh, obviously that doesn't represent all conservatives, etc., etc. But very funny. Very funny. I would laugh, by the way, if they found a person that was uh, far left behaving as silly, just as silly. Okay, I'm, uh, I think I'm experiencing fatigue from life so i'm gonna end this uh my daughter started walking that's exciting 
That's a good that's a good deal. Everyone when you everybody says the same thing when they hear that like a watch out. It's like when you're kid when you're a kid and you get a driver's license and they're like, "Well, let me know when you get it cuz I'll get off the road that day." Uh it's like that. Everybody's But my daughter's walking. She's walking and today she's been walking like she probably took her first steps like a month ago, but I wouldn't have called it walking. And now she's like walking. And not only did she start walking, but she also somehow, we have an Amazon fire stick in our living room and she somehow completely reset the Amazon fire stick to factory settings. So I'm slightly worried that my, what is she? 15 months, 14 months, 14 and a half months. My 14 and a half month old daughter is going to, is she a, a Russian operative? Please write in if you think that she's a Russian operative. Okay. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Follow me everywhere at the Casey McLean. Find stand updates at the com slash calendar. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast, and I will talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.